Can imitation be a good thing? That's the question we're discussing today on the Hero of the Story presented by the Gospel Project. Thanks for joining us for today's episode of the Hero of the Story, a podcast to help you explore the big story and big truth of Scripture. I'm Aaron Armstrong, and with me is Josh Hayes. Josh, today we are discussing a really great passage of Scripture. We are looking at Philippians chapter 3. Yeah, that's a that's a that's a great passage. Like all like all passages of scripture, I guess we're obligated to say. But yeah, Philippians uh, known to be the epistle of joy, and mm-hmm. so we'll see uh, part of what Paul's uh, joy was 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 grounded in as he as he writes uh, to these uh, fellow Christians at the church in Philippi, uh, to, to follow his example, right? We're going to be talking about imitation today, as you, uh, said, yeah. uh, kicking us off. Yeah. Um, so before we get into the passage itself, what do we, uh, can you set up a little bit of context for us? Sure. Uh, well, as I mentioned, this is the letter to the church in Philippi. And what's interesting about this church is it was the first church that Paul founded in what we would today call, call Europe. Uh, and, uh, and you can see that that church getting established in, in the record that Luke's left us in the book of Acts, chapter 16. You think of Lydia and the household of women that she was with, and it says the Lord opened her heart uh, to heed the things that Paul was speaking then. And you think of the Philippian jailer. So you see the, the start of a Christian movement there as people respond uh, to the gospel um, in this in this area of the world, uh, this is what's known as uh, one of uh, Paul's uh, prison epistles. So when he was in prison in Rome, he's writing from there to follow up with various churches that he planted. So this would have been the church that we see him uh, get going in Acts 16. He's following up with them and calling them to unity uh, to uh, find their identity in Christ and to, mm-hmm. and that for that to lead to being uh, servant minded. Uh, toward toward others, and uh, this is uh, like I said, a prison epistle. That's that, and it's estimated that it was written around AD sixty two, as far as we can uh, approximate these things. Since Paul was in prison around AD sixty, uh, we we can best estimate. Yeah. And uh, as, as I mentioned, it's 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 a it's a an epistle known as the Epistle of Joy for a reason, and it's grounded in our identity in Christ and uh, Christ who found. Uh, joy and ultimately glory not from thinking of himself first but thinking of others first and we're to follow not only christ's model uh, of of that pursuit uh, of joy and servant mindedness but uh, as we'll see we're to follow paul's example too and imitating him and how he uh, counts things as lost for the sake of serving Christ and serving others. This epistle is also unique in that it is one of the only epistles that isn't written to directly confront a, a serious community-wide sin issue. Yeah, that's a good um, point. Which is, which is very unusual because, um, I mean, so many of the letters are really are written in response, and so we're seeing mm-hmm. one half of a conversation. And with this one, too, we are only seeing half a conversation as well, but uh, what is what is refreshing in it and what is joyful for us as readers is that it is— we we see so much of Paul's affection for the Philippians in hmm. this letter, uh, and so uh, let's kick off with chapter three, and uh, we'll talk about it. We'll and we'll see what difference it makes in our lives as we disciple others. So, 
Here we go, starting in verse 1. In addition, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. To write to you again about this is no trouble for me and is a safeguard for you. Watch out for the dogs. Watch out for the evil workers. Watch out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision, the ones who worship by the Spirit of God, boast in Christ Jesus, and do not put confidence in the flesh. Although I have reasons for confidence in the flesh. If anyone else thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, regarding the law, a Pharisee, regarding zeal, persecuting the church, regarding the righteousness that is in the law, blameless. But everything that was a gain to me, I have considered to be a loss because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them as dung so that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. My goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. Not that I have already reached the goal or am already perfect, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I have also been taken hold of by Christ. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what's behind and reaching forward to what is ahead, I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let all of us who are mature think this way. And if you think differently about anything, God will reveal this also to you. In any case, we should live up to whatever truth we have attained. Join in imitating me, brothers and sisters, and pay careful attention to those who live according to the example we ha you have in us. For I have often told you, and now say again with tears, that many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is their destruction, their God is their stomach, their glory is their shame, and they are focused on earthly things. Our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await for a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject everything to himself. So this is a fantastic passage, and it is so filled with hope uh, when we when we read it. And it has, but it has so much to teach us as well about what it ultimately means to run the race of the Christian life, or to or to live in light of the gospel, live and live as God's people. Um, so as you read it, of course, it is also a very straightforward passage. Um, there's not a lot that it, that should be confusing if you're familiar with the context of it, but there is still a lot there that that we uh, that is worth our time ex right, exploring. Right. Yeah. So one of those first things uh, I'll kick us off here, um, as much as it pains me to not do our second one, <laughs> uh, is is this question: Why does Paul consider everything that he achieved? prior to becoming a uh, becoming a Christian. So his ethnicity, his 
righteousness under the law, his zeal for the law. Uh, why does he consider all of these things to be a loss when they were clearly his foundation prior? And so one of the things that's tempting to, to as we read verses 1 through 7, is we're very tempted to read this as though he's giving a some kind of uh, spiritual resume. Um, and then fall, and then giving with an air of false modesty, casting those aside. So he's saying, "Oh, you know, these. This is who I was, but you know, it's 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 no big it's no big deal, guys. It's it's cool. If we read it that way, if we're tempted to read it that way, we should not, because that's not the right way to re- read it. One of the things that is helpful to know here is is that, and you can pick this up from the language, is that undoubtedly." Paul was giving them a, a warning about some of his his favorite hangers-on mm-hmm. who usually cropped up to to hinder his ministry. These guys who were a bit of a mess uh, because they were frequently going about saying, well, in order to really be a Christian, you got to follow the, follow the law too. They really were the thorn in Paul's flesh that, that we see him describing elsewhere. Yeah, Paul's shown himself to be the example for this does not work to justify you because I've outdone you guys who are saying that we should follow at least certain selective aspects of the law that they, they, they promoted uh, the Judaizers that you, that you referenced. Uh, And so Paul's saying that that didn't work out for me. I can boast about those things, but it, but it did, it did me no good because righteousness cannot be achieved by, by human effort uh, in obeying the law, but can only be found in Christ and received through faith in him. All right, so he says he says all of this. Why did he? Why did this matter? Why did he say all this? What is his point, Josh? He he, uh, as he's going to say to imitate him in a positive light. This is almost him his showing Paul showing us not to imitate him as he formerly lived, looking to all these uh, things he would have perceived as virtues, these religious accomplishments, his religious pedigree as being uh, from a Pharisee from the tribe of Benjamin. Um, he's saying, don't put stock in those things. And it, as we'll, as we see, as he moves on in the past, in the passage, it's the Christian life is one of looking forward as to God's heavenly call uh, to us in Christ Jesus. It's not, uh, what have we done lately to show people how spiritual, how religious we are? What have we done to impress God? Even if we could, if we can state it in, in th- those uh, sort of terms, but mm-hmm. what are, what, how are we living out our identity in Christ now, knowing that there's there's nothing that we could do to establish our own righteousness before God? It, it's something that we have to receive by grace through faith. So Paul is Paul is showing us the the, the negative um, uh, example, uh, our negative tendency to put identity and in, in spiritual stock. And, yeah, and other things other 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 than Christ. Yeah, in some ways, this is a a public demonstration of repentance. Oh yeah, that's a good way uh, to put that. It. So because I mean, you see him turn like you see his regret, um, really, and turning away from his self justification, um, and um, actually, and as the pa- and as the passage compounds all of this, because you see him use this. Um, this term loss multiple mm-hmm. times over, which um, is actually an economic term that's that's uh, from the marketplace talking mm-hmm. about its disadvantage. Um, uh, it's a disadvantage to him ultimately. Um, 
And so, but it's like he compounds it over and over and over again until he ultimately gets to this one really stark statement where he says in verse 8 that he considers all of his past righteousness as dung. Um, right. And so what's what's funny here, of course, is, is that, you know, people love to come to this, um, particularly... Uh, you know, particularly folks who are, you know, in our general age group who like to be a little bit clever and cheeky mm-hmm. um, and will will point at this passage and say, well, here, see, here's why we can be salty and it's OK, um, <laughs> you know, or this is why we can we can use harsh language um, or profanity at times, um, depending. Um, and so here's a question, though. Can we? That's a great question, and certainly it's it's always fun to go to the Bible and say, "Hey, look, we can you know we can use harsh language or we can use potty talk because hey, Paul does. So who who are you to say I can't?" Uh, but remember, when we're looking at these letters, they're one side of a conversation, as you mentioned. They're also occasional, yes. and Paul is wanting to stress an element that's very very important about the Christian life here, and so he's not throwing around dung as just a commonplace term it's one of those things like if you use a term that has shock value or power uh, if you use it too often it loses its effect it loses it it's it, it's it's uh its potency mm-hmm. and so this isn't validation to use crass language uh all the time and you know paul paul like like he does in in, uh, in galatians where he says mm-hmm. you know, he, he wishes those who uh, we're troubling them that they would castrate themselves. Uh, and so that that's hard. That's another example of harsh language. And, and in that situation, it was warranted in, in order to get the people um, there in Galatia to respect the, uh, to respect the, the hindrance and the, uh, the hindrance and the danger that was that false teaching that, that yeah. was really undermining the gospel. Well, here in Philippians, he's saying it's so dangerous to become like, like me, I'm going to tell you that, uh, like I was as a as a Pharisee who took pride in my own in his own self justification, that I'm going to let you know I, my perspective now, this side of being in Christ is that that that's his dung, that's his that's his human waste, that's his trash, that's his garbage, and so it 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 gives us a model in terms of being selective about where we might use you know shocking language, strong language at times, but it's definitely not warrant to um, to abuse it and to and to and to over to overdo it. It's more Paul is putting a verbal, a strong verbal pronouncement on not uh, finding identity and confidence in the things that, that that he formerly did, not finding false assurance in his religious or his ethnic resume. That 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 is uh, counter gospel. That's anti gospel. So that's why we should consider it as as dung. He's, he's yeah. showing us how far he's come along as, as a as a Christian man, um, and recognizing yeah. how that didn't really gain him any advantage or favor uh, before God. That's a really helpful understanding for this. Um, you know, he is turning this inward. He's not. Yeah, he's not. He's not throwing this at anyone else. He's saying, "No, my attempts at self justification mm-hmm. were like this." Um, and so that's a helpful thing for us to, you know, if we're going to be harsh anywhere, and I know this, uh, this is us jumping ahead, you know, into, uh, thinking about 
how uh, how we would walk through something like this with someone else. But um, you know, as we think about it in our own lives, and as we encourage people um, that we're discipling, we don't want them to be pointing at other people in their attempts at self at self-righteousness or self-justification and saying, well, you're acting like this over here. It's when, when there's criticism in scripture, it's, it's coming at ourselves first. Right. And so that is, that is the model that, that Paul is demonstrating here for us um, as he ultimately, uh, which ultimately leads to this encouragement as we see him talk about how he is striving toward um, the goal, the prize of glorification in Christ. Um, I mean, that's what we see really, uh, through the next big chunk of, of the letter right through the end or right through this passage, right through the end of it, um, which leads into the, which leads into this action point that he gives in verse 17, uh, which is, uh, to imitate him. He tells them, brothers and sisters, join in imitating me. Um, have this same, have this same disposition, have this same posture. Do what I am doing as I pursue Christ. So why is he why is he encouraging this imit this imitation? I mean, is, that seems like it could be er- could be right. seen as yeah, pretty follow, arrogant, couldn't right. it? Right. People can take it as follow me because I've I've figured out things and got everything right. So you should you should follow me. Uh, my pastor did a great illustration one time, uh, a, vi- a visual uh, in the middle of a sermon when he was, uh, might not have been this passage that he was preaching from, but maybe, you know, first Corinthians 11, Paul says, sim- has a similar expression, you know, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And that, that speaks to what Paul's getting at here when he's saying to imitate him, because he's, he's imitating Christ. He's imitating the, the example, the great example that really is the centerpiece of Philippians two. that passage where, uh, it's talking about Christ's voluntary humiliation, right? That he uh, seeks mm-hmm. not first uh, the, the the benefit, although he was in the form of God, he did not seek um, the the privileges of being in the in the in the form of God and being equal with God, but made it, but, but emptied himself and be, and came in the form of a servant, this sort of servant-hearted, servant-minded uh, behavior that does lead ultimately to, to Christ's glorification and mm-hmm. that he died this shameful death, even death on a cross, it says, and that God, the father exalted him as a, as a result of that. And so the Christian life is cruciform and that it follows the pattern of Christ and that we are to live cruciform lives of, of self-denial, right? We're, we're not gratifying the flesh, but we're denying it, but it's not completely just a negative denial uh, of of ourselves it's it's a growing in christ and feeding and and enjoying better things like we like we've talked about in, in recent yeah. episodes like concerning repentance and sanctification and, and so forth and so it's not to get back again to my uh, original point about my my pastor and his uh his uh his illustration now i've probably made it die to the death of a thousand caveats now but um what he did is he had one person at the back of the room stand up and says, this is the person you're to follow. And then had a, you know, a person from each row stand up and look behind. And if I tell the person in the back of the line to follow the person in front of them, and they're following the person in front of them, and ultimately they're all trying to follow the person at the front of the line. Well, mm-hmm. then they're all going 
in the same direction. They're all getting to the same destination. So if, if Paul is following Jesus and we're following Paul, then by following Paul, we're ultimately following Jesus. He's leading us in, in, the, in the right direction, which, which is toward Christ. So that's why he can use language here um, about, the, about, about imitation. And then also, uh, as, he, as I mentioned, I think it's 1 Corinthians 11. He says, imitate me as I also imitate uh, Christ. And yeah. so it's not, it's not conceited. It's just being self-aware of, of his own relationship to Christ and that he's leading uh, people who might not have been a Christian, Christians as long, people who are looking to him for spiritual guidance and leadership. Uh, people who might be less mature than he is, he's saying, "Follow me, and I'll show you the way." And we, we that that's just the nature of discipleship. It's it's inevitable that if we're leading godly lives in Christ Jesus, that we're we're going to say, "Yes, you should model this." Like, don't reflect me and my personality so much, but the things that by God's grace I am doing rightly. Yes, you should see wisdom, truth, and 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 benefit to to doing similar things. All right, Josh. So uh, let's let's bring this home and talk about this passage from a discipleship perspective to uh, a greater degree. Uh, what kind of guidance can we offer someone who's working through this with, with others? So whether it's a parent with kids, whether it's in mm-hmm. uh, a ministry setting with uh, teens, with you know, elementary kids, preschoolers, ad- other adults. What's that look like? Yeah, well, Paul's not by counting all his former life as lost in terms of his uh, ethnic and religious pedigree. He's not denying that uh, there aren't other, there aren't hobbies we can pursue. There aren't skills we can uh, we can practice at in order to to become. Uh, better at different things. So humility in Christ, recognizing that those things, the things that we're good at, things that we're known for, uh, don't make us right before God. That doesn't mean that they're that they're bad things either. Mm-hmm. And so it's it means don't put your identity in them. Uh, don't count on them to make you right before God or to uh, make yourself more uh, pleasing to others necessarily. Mm-hmm. But but to recognize that Paul's casting off these things, he's talking about it in a sense of anything that we base our identity on or we look to as grounds to, to make us right before God, things that we can boast about in that way. But this, this humility uh, because of who we are in Christ that Paul's calling us toward, it's not to deny uh, other skills and hobbies that we, that we might uh, – want to pursue it doesn't mean don't be a don't seek to be a good spouse or, or a good parent or, or a good student no, those those are things we can do to yeah. the glory of god but don't don't rest your identity entirely in those things or make or or just delude yourself into thinking that you're impressing god and that god accepts you on the basis of how well you do those things because when, when you're honest at the end of the day we all fall short we're all imperfect we're we're, we're all gonna we're all, we're all going to uh, disappoint in some form or fashion, either ourselves or others that that's not going to, that's not going to work out for you. If, you, if your confidence isn't, uh, if it's not in Christ, but rather in the flesh to use Paul's, Paul's language there. So next thing I would say is, is that this focus that, that we see Paul have in, you know, in the second half of the chapter where he's talking at length about pursuing the goal of the prize um you know mm-hmm. in the, in some translations it's 
you know, the prize of the upward, the, the upward call of God in Christ, um, is, is the language that it, that's used. Basically all of this, this language that points to one thing that we talked about fairly recently called glorification. Um, that, uh, that the goal is, is that we become like Christ and that we get to be with Christ in the end, that we will be perfect as he is perfect. Uh, this thing that we are not yet, but are ever pursuing in this life, if we are found in Christ, um, that helps us to live faith. Knowing that, knowing what the goal is, helps us to live faithfully in this moment. Um, to be able, to be able to say, "I'm not going to make it. I'm not that yet, mm-hmm. and I shouldn't consider that I've made it." But I want, I want that. I want to be, I want to be like Christ. I want to follow in the ways, I want to follow Christ in the ways that I've seen other people who are following Christ, genuinely following him, are doing so. And that needs to be a motivator for us in that pursuit. Because if we're, if we're motivated by ultimately anything else, unfortunately, we're going to we're going to grow weary and we're going to quit. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. That, that's really how glorification fits into this, that we're just we're striving to uh, become what we will be. But realistically, knowing we won't be that yet until uh, Jesus returns, and the new heavens, the new earth are ushered in, ushered in. Mm-hmm. As, as this verse in Philippians 3, uh, uh, verse 21 states that uh, we have this confidence and this hope that he will transform the body of our humble condition to the likeness of his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject everything to himself. So that's the, that's the confidence and grounds of assurance that we have that this striving to overcome sin and, and to pursue Christ, the heavenly upward call in Christ, is, is, as you mentioned earlier. Uh, it's not, it's not going to be in vain. It's all contributing toward this, this final goal that is becoming uh, conformed to the image of Christ that God is going to ensure happens. And so we're just getting used to, to what that will look like eventually in the, in the new heavens, new earth, in the age of resurrection, when, when Jesus raises all his people mm-hmm. uh, from the dead. And what's, what's, what's so fulfilling about that is to think this is the purpose for which God created humanity to rule and to reign with him. Mm-hmm. over 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 creation without sin there to bring any sort of a defect or, or hindrance and we'll have the fullness of fellowship with god and with one another and we won't be hindered by sin we'll have that same power that jesus when he was glorified uh was unable to subject everything to himself all things will be put under our feet as as god created uh the world uh to, to be to be mm-hmm. this place that humans subdued and that that's the glorification is becoming not less human but more human it's to become what we were originally meant to be yeah, uh to be fully I, human as god intended exactly exactly yeah. and jesus is the example of that both pre-resurrection but then especially post-resurrection he's a preview of what what life will be like in the in the age to come one last thing for us to hit on here is is kind of a is kind of a twofold thing. Um, this this call to imitate and to be imitators. Um, really, what this is a reminder of for us is and an encouragement for us is that we both a need to find trustworthy people who are worthy of imitation, 
and B, that we should pursue becoming people who are worthy of imitation. And mm-hmm. so it's it really is that twofold thing. It is, uh, and ultimately, everything that we've talked about comes together in this. That as we are pursuing, uh, as we are pursuing this goal of being, um, of becoming what we will be, that um, that people will see. We we need to see examples of that as we go. Yeah. Um, so. Um, I mean, I can think of a number of folks who have been very helpful in my life um, that, you know, no one would know who they are, but, um, and they wouldn't know necessarily how they have influenced me, but, um, but they're uh, just watching them from the sidelines and how they, um, how they speak about their their wives that they've been married to for you know 40 plus years how they have um how they serve in our serve in the church without complaint week in and week out um folks who just when they say they're going to pray for you actually are praying for you (laughs) you know little things like that so yeah, really, this is a call to discipleship, right? We all we need to find others to disciple, and we need to be discipled ourselves. So, looking for trustworthy people to imitate—that's the—that's the call to be discipled. That knowing mm-hmm. knowing that there are people who are are wiser and more mature than you, at least in certain areas, that you can learn from. So, having a humble heart and mindset about that, and looking for people who um, you can learn from in terms of what it means to follow Jesus, but then also be a person because you're following Jesus, who's worthy to imitate. And so you're looking to disciple others. You think of Jesus when he's discipling uh, the, the, the original apostles, mm-hmm. they, they are following him. They are, they are Im- seeking to imitate him. And we're, we're just uh, seeking to, to do the same thing uh, as we follow, you know, get in the line as I, you know, badly explained the uh, illustration from my pastor's sermon earlier. We're just getting in line of all the people, starting with the apostles who got in line behind Jesus, and we're following them. And so this is this this upward call, this this call to invitation is just like a call to discipleship, to put it in, to put it in perhaps the simplest terms. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And Josh, that is a good note for us to end on. So thanks for uh, really getting to the heart of that. Um, there at the end and thank you all for listening to today's episode of the podcast if you enjoyed it please do leave a sincere five-star rating and review on apple Podcasts or whatever platform you use to listen to the show and for more resources to help you focus your ministry on the gospel please visit gospelproject.com